Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Leafs Podcast. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano, and I'm joined by my co-host, The Zoobs. He'll be joining us in just a few moments. Uh, we're going to recap the Blues matchup tomorrow night. But first, I got a pretty cool interview with Scott Wheeler. He's going to chat about what's been going on in Leafland and kind of his observations on what he's seen uh, since Sheldon Keefe has taken over. And then we'll also discuss some of the Leafs prospects, see if there's anyone that might be coming up for some nice reinforcements for the Toronto Maple Leafs in the coming years. So without further ado, let's get to it. Scott, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. Uh, things in Leafland right now are are doesn't seem as peachy as they did maybe a week ago oh, when testy. when Keith was was four and one, but uh, not doing pretty bad. What have been your overall impressions of the Leafs so far this year? Oh, uh, well, I think you have to kind of evaluate them in in two ways. I think you have to look at the Babcock era and then kind of look at the Keith era separately. The Babcock sort of portion of this season I think didn't go as anyone expected it would. Uh, I thought the Leafs were going to be one of the better teams in the league this season. I expected them at the start of the year to be a top three or four team league-wide in the standings and I think I might have even had them second or third on my power rank, my very first power rankings that we did at the Athletic. Um, And then things just kind of started to slip. Obviously you have to understand Babcock's time with the Leafs in terms of the injuries and in terms of the backup goaltending that they got. Uh, but even even before the injuries and before you really ran into that those issues with the back-to-backs, they weren't playing great hockey. They, they were winning games with Anderson, and they had a strong record with Anderson in that, um, but they really weren't dominating games. They were kind of sneaking out one-goal games and one-goal wins and one-goal losses, and, and that's kind of just how the season was going. They obviously had the disastrous performance against the Tampa Bay Lightning where they got lit up, and that looked like it was kind of a warning sign for Babcock, and then things just never really got comfortable for them. And then, obviously, the key sort of section of this season here has been a little bit more positive um there's there's still a lot of kinks to to get ironed out though they've got to figure out how they want to run their deep pairings they've been juggling them a lot under keith they've got to find out what their fourth line is going to look like i still don't think keith has a good idea of what that looks like and now that they're finally healthy they've got to go on a run there's there's no more excuses this team is i mean aside from trevor moore and andreas johnson went down last night against colorado um that they haven't really been uh, this healthy all season and, and really this healthy in a long time. They battled injuries for the better chunk of last season between Matthews and others. And obviously William Nylander missing the first half of the campaign as well. So uh, now you've got a team that's four and three under Keefe and, and they, things aren't as, as rosy as they were out of the gate. And they've got to start putting some results on the board. And I really liked their game against Colorado last night. I thought they played, borderline exceedingly well i thought that was one of their better games of the season and certainly the best game that they've played on the tail end of a back-to-back but they didn't win and ultimately they they need results quickly here if if they get below 500 or if if they sort of linger around 500 for another month or so they're going to be in real trouble trying to claw their way back into the playoff picture oh definitely like you look i mean they're only really one point out of a playoff spot one point behind um I think uh, Montreal and Buffalo are, are just ahead of them, but in terms of points percentage, you know they got games. They got a couple more games played, so they're a little bit further down than it initially looks. Um, you know, speaking of, of of the Keith era coming in, we're now seven games in, so we're not quite ready to to totally judge him and how his team looks. 
but are there some things that you've noticed specifically that have changed under Keefe? And obviously you've also covered the Marlies a lot, so you kind of seen how Keefe's been running his systems down there. Has he brought any of that to the Leafs, and have you noticed some big uh, differences in the way that they've been playing now to the way that they played under Babcock? Absolutely, I have. I, I think there, stylistically there are a few things, and then deployment, there are definitely a couple of key changes. I think in terms of deployment, you've seen that he's willing, particularly late in games, to really ride his top guys more than Babcock was. Babcock very, very much sort of believed in uh, playing a heavy matchup game, and, and that often dictated that uh, players like that that Frederick Gauthier line were getting ridiculous defensive zone starts because he didn't really feel confident or comfortable enough relying on guys like Austin Matthews to play that defensive role and relying on a William Melander to be out there late in a game for a defensive zone face-off with the lead. And I think you've seen that part of it change. I think particularly on, on defense, you've certainly seen Travis Dermott, and I wrote about this when I was in Philly for the game a couple of nights ago, but you, you've certainly seen uh, Travis Dermott take on a, a more pronounced role. He's getting bigger minutes. Obviously, the, the adjustment on the power play by having Tyson Berry there to kind of get him going is a... I think a welcome change for for everyone involved. Morgan Riley hasn't had a particularly great year, and they need to get Tyson Berry at his best. And I think we've seen more confident Tyson Berry with that confidence that's sort of being relayed to him from the top down from the coach that he never really had under Mike Babcock. So I think in in terms of deployment, there have been a few sort of major adjustments. And then stylistically, I I think you couldn't have a a coach that's sort of done things any differently. He's changed the players that he's used on the penalty kill and the power play. Through the neutral zone, they hang on to the puck a little bit more, and uh, they play a little bit less of a dump and chase game. Uh, Certainly in the defensive zone, he's asking his defensemen to activate a little bit more and to push tempo and to use their feet. We've seen Travis Dermott particularly through the neutral zone and certainly Tyson Berry as well and and even Justin Hole really pushing tempo and skating a little bit more with the puck and hanging on to it a little bit more I think we've also seen that out of the four the forwards and they've talked about this but just the freedom to be able to hang on to the puck Babcock wanted them to be playing as fast as they could and his version of playing as fast as they could meant that he wanted them to get the puck moving and that meant that the defensemen and the and the forwards didn't have a ton of freedom to really use their creativity and their puck handling and I think we've seen that change so There's been a huge change for them, and and that's going to take some time for them to really figure out. And Keith's going to have to find out what worked at the AHL for him and whether that still works at the NHL level and the adjustments that he's going to have to make. So it's going to take some time here, but the Leafs are also in uh, a tough spot in terms of the standings. And, I mean, you touched on the the points percentage side of it, I, I think we all fully expect that the Tampa Bay Lightning, who haven't played as many games as everybody else and aren't technically in the pick, in the playoff picture, will be there. And suddenly then you've got an Atlantic division where Boston and Tampa are, are certainly going to be in. And uh, wild card spots where Pittsburgh and Carolina and Philadelphia don't look like they have any intention of slowing down. So if, if the Leaps are competing for a spot, they're, they're really fighting with Buffalo and Florida for that last that third spot in the Atlantic division, I think. And uh, Florida has shown that they can sort of contend. And Jack Eichel is willing to carry the Buffalo Sabres. And it's not going to be an easy road for them. They're going to have to play well. They're going to have to really go on a run and string together a 10-game stretch where they win seven or eight games. And we haven't really seen that out of the Leafs this season. And even, even in the back half of last season where they played largely 500 hockey. So they need to be a different team than they've been in the last little while here. Definitely, I think one of those 
players that also is going to have to step up for, for them to go on a run is going to be Morgan Riley. He's had a bit of a disappointing season considering that he had uh, a nearly a Norris candidate season uh, just last year. Um, what's been missing from his game, though, that has kind of made him so ineffective this year that made him effective last year? And uh, what do you think he needs to get back to doing? Well, I think part of it comes down to the expectations that were built and, and sort of created last year. He was one of those guys where it wasn't out of the question for him to be on the top five of your Norris ballot last year. And I think people expected a, a repeat season, and that was just always going to be a little bit more unlikely than I think people uh probably expected i i just always have viewed him as a kind of 50 point guy rather than a guy who's gonna push 60 70 points and uh certainly he's never really been a stalwart defensive defenseman the his, the, the strength of his game has always been in his north south skating and his ability to get the puck up ice and part of it last year was just the fact that the power play was so successful or particularly in the first half of last season uh, and, and he was able to pick up a lot of those secondary assists just by giving the puck to Mitch Marner and obviously he hasn't had Mitch Marner for part of this season and he battled health issues early in the year and I think that health uh, has been a little bit understated. He missed a lot of practices, and he was playing through an injury, and it was never really made clear because he's not the type to kind of talk about that kind of thing, but it was never really made clear what that injury was or how serious it was or uh, how badly it was affecting him in games, but that was also certainly a factor, and he just has not really looked like the Morgan Riley of last year, and I think it's hard to expect him to be that kind of player for the rest of his career. Uh, I don't think he is that level of a player, uh, but certainly you'd expect him to be more than he has this year. And Maybe part of it is just that he's playing with Cody Ceci and he's trying to find a, a groove with a new D partner after having so much comfort with Ron Hainsey and others uh, over the last few years. So uh, I, I don't know whether there's any one thing that I would point to, but I, I think it's just been the accumulation of health and a new partner and two, now two new coaches and all of those things have contributed to the fact that he's just never going to be the player that he was last year. And he, that really wasn't, I, I don't think, the the true picture of Morgan Riley. And, you know, you talk about trying to build chemistry with a D partner. Got himself a new one yesterday. Uh, Keith kind of putting the D pairings in a bit of a line blender. And uh, he ended up on a line with, with Tyson Berry. Uh, which I think was something that a lot of people were kind of clamoring for to see if we can get, just see if it works, because it seemed like the limited time they did have together, you know, the shot share was very positive. Um, but yesterday, I don't think it went as swimmingly as they had hoped. The offense wasn't quite there when they were out there on the ice. Uh, what was your thoughts on how that pairing was last night, and do you hope to get an extended look? I think we sh we should, should eventually see an extended look. Um, I think Sheldon is also open to it, but just he, he seems like he's comfortable tinkering with it, and he's not married to having Cody Cece there, although he has played Cody Cece a lot more than I expected he would. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't great last night. I think that Colorado game, uh, they, they just didn't look like the dominant offensive sort of line driving play driving pairing that you would probably expect them to be especially when you're down a goal and the other team's kind of sitting back and trying to defend the lead like we saw Colorado do in the third period I think when the Leafs were dominant uh, last night particularly for large stretches in that third period it wasn't uh, because Morgan Riley and and 
Tyson Berry were on the ice. It was normally because that line with Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and Austin Matthews were sort of tinkered with and, and playing really well, and I thought they could have created a couple of goals there and really tied the game, and uh, it obviously didn't go that way, but I, I really liked what I saw out of them. But uh, I, I do think in time that we're going to see more of, of Riley and, and see um, – buried together and I think uh, if the Leafs can find something there that works and, and be able to rely on them or, or find another deep pairing that can play a little bit more of a shutdown role that frees them up that they could have a better solution than what they've run so far this year yeah I, I totally agree and I, I like the fact that Keith is willing to tinker with things whereas you know Babcock in the past it seemed like he just those were his lines and it was kind of just getting stale night after night, seeing the same lines roll out there, whether or not they were having success or not. So it was kind of refreshing yesterday to see that keep kind of put everything in a bit of a blender, which is funny because I don't think anybody saw it coming because it was kind of just, there was no morning skate really. It was just kind of a, a free skate. And it, I was just looking on Twitter and I just saw everybody tweeting out the line rushes. I was like, oh, wow, look at that. Like that was, it was just a, a little surprising, but you know, it's it's just nice to see that Keith is open to doing some new, innovative things like that. And one of the other innovative things that he did last night, which I don't think uh, Babcock would have ever done. Not that I want to sit here and just you know talk about Bab, talk badly about Babcock, but you know, last night I, I guess Freddie Anderson came in after the Philly game and demanded the net for for the second game and as many nights. Um, how did you thought? How did you think that he played last night? I thought he played well. I mean, that was the best goaltending that the Leafs have probably received on the tail end of a back-to-back, and that should be no surprise because he's the best goalie in the organization by a very, very wide margin. But uh, I, I thought he handled it well, and I thought it was an interesting. Uh, move by Sheldon just because earlier in the week Sheldon had said it would be disrespectful and unfair uh, to play in back-to-back situations Frederick Anderson in both games just because a it doesn't respect Frederick Anderson's health and b it doesn't respect their backup goalie so uh, that was an interesting set of circumstances I think the only reason that he went to it was because of how the game in Philadelphia ended and how unhappy Keith was with the way that they'd hung his starting goalie out to dry and they wanted him to sort of get the net back and they wanted the team in front of him to play better and to show him that that wasn't going to happen again and I think they did that despite the result obviously you're disappointed to lose both games in a back-to-back but uh, I, I think the Leafs should be should be happy with the way that this the second game in particular went and and even the way that the first half of that Philly game went so uh, it wasn't like it was a complete debacle of a back-to-back but uh, I, I thought the Leafs responded well and I thought Anderson played well and I thought it was the right move to have Anderson in that game win or lose how do you see the backup goalie situation kind of playing out are they kind of stuck with with a Hutchinson or Kaskasuo type duo whether they just kind of bounce up and down with the minors or you know do you see one of these younger guys like Joseph Wall or Ian Scott maybe being the solution probably not this year but maybe you know in the next year or two um 
no, I don't really see any internal solution. Uh, I certainly think that Joseph Wool could grab grab a hold of it. Um, Joseph has, has struggled a little bit. I wouldn't say struggled. His numbers look like he has struggled, but I think he's actually played reasonably well in almost all of his starts. The Marlies just haven't played particularly well in front of him. But in terms of Cascasuo and, and Hutchinson, I, I, I think the Leafs will actively look to, to add there as much as Kyle came out the other day or last week and said, oh, we're confident in Hutchin. We're going to keep going back to him and we're going to give him an, an another chance here in the sort of Keith era, I do think they would jump at any opportunity to find an affordable backup who is even a slight upgrade on either of those two guys. Uh, Tristan Jari comes to mind as, as the obvious guy just because he's one of the only backups in the league who A, has has a sort of the depth of the AHL behind him that the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins could insulate him with, and B, has a contract that the Leafs can afford. The problem that the Leafs are in is that when uh, backups hit the market or hit waivers and they've got these salaries of 900 or K or, or just over a million, uh, someone like Casey DeSmith, who was 1.25, the Leafs obviously just can't afford that. It's the same reason that they keep uh, Dimitro Timoshov around as opposed to someone like a Nick Patan. It's just that that 100K, 200K, 300K difference in salary is a big deal for the Leafs and it limits their options. So their ability to find a backup who is an upgrade when the, the backup that they're probably looking for is only making 750 or 800K a year is, is the biggest challenge for them more than anything. I do think they will try and do something along those lines and maybe that's putting together a package to go and get someone like Tristan Jari, but... Uh, it's a, it's not an easy situation. It's a sticky move to have to make when uh, you've got two goalies who you clearly don't have complete faith in. I think if they had complete faith in Kaskisuo, they wouldn't have recalled Michael Hutchinson in the first place. Uh, so it, it's it's tough. They've they've put themselves in a really weird spot, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them tinker with their roster. Uh, you're not going to see them move a William Nylander or a Mitch Marner or an Austin Matthews, that kind of a move, but I, I don't think that moving a Kasperi Kapanen or an Andreas Janssen is out of the question if it means that uh, they they sort of use a player like Nick Patan in the role of an Andreas Janssen or Kasperi Kapanen and then try to find a backup goalie who's an upgrade. Or even, you know, freeing up uh, $4.5 million in cap by moving on from Cody Cece would be okay with me as well, to be quite honest with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, easier said than done, especially with the minutes he's playing, I think. That's true. That is true. But, man, you just you got to think that now that he's kind of on the third line, hopefully things get a little better and he's playing against lesser talent and, uh, you know, just the way that he's going to be deployed, hopefully he's not as terrible as he looked uh, in philly especially yeah uh real quick too just uh last one for you um are there any other prospects in the pipeline that uh that are starting to make a name for themselves that that lee fans should kind of start keeping in the ear out for I mean, Nick Robertson's the big one who's really grabbed hold of it this season. He's back on the sort of quote-unquote injured reserve. He's battling an injury again, which he did for much of last year. Um, But he's he's the one prospect in the Leafs organization who has really grabbed hold of things this year. The other who I would probably point to is Nick Abruzzese. He's at Harvard after an excellent USHL career. He's a double overager, and the Leafs took a real chance on him by taking him at at his age. 
but he's he's having a, an excellent freshman year. He's become an impact player right away, and some of that's his age. He's not really a true 18-year-old freshman, so you'd expect him to be more of an impact guy immediately. But he's been a, a, a sort of revelation revelation of sorts i think he's a borderline dominant college player already he's obviously if if he spends four years there the it probably means that the leafs aren't happy with him because if he spends four years there at his age he, he'll be a, a very old player as he turns pro uh, but Aberzazi's a kid who I, I think has a lot of talent he's five time five ten on a good day but he's a crafty little center he may end up switching to the wing at the pro level but i think he could handle that kind of a role and he can help out on a power play and he can make plays and he can finish around the net there's just a lot to like about Nick's game so I, I think he's the one prospect that has if if there's a player that has surprised me it's probably him and then the other player that has really impressed me this year is Adam Brooks I think Brooks has been great this year he battled injuries for the third straight season he had a concussion to start the season and that kind of set him back after a hot start he had four points in his first four games when he went down with the concussion and he's kind of just picked up where he left off and he looks really good and I know for a fact that uh, Sheldon Keith has a lot of belief in him so maybe at some point maybe not this year but maybe at some point next year you see Adam Brooks get a real sort of stretch of 10 or 11 games to show what he can do as the fourth line center I, that would that would not be out of the question for uh, a Sheldon Keith team to, to really give him an opportunity and I think I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of a 60, 70 game year here, 70 game season here, whether he's a 60 ish point player as well. I think he might challenge for point per game and maybe just finish just below point per game in the AHL. So that would be a huge step forward for Brooks. Yeah, I think that'd be great if, if you know, they can try and fill out a little bit more of, of the bottom of the roster over the next couple of years. Obviously, you know, they're a little bit cap strapped. So if they can get these young rookies uh, playing really well right off the top. Uh, over the next couple of years, that'll definitely benefit the Leafs uh, going forward. Didn't notice that you mentioned a defenseman, though, uh, when you're mentioning a few of these prospects. Anyone on the back end that catches your eye? Honestly, not particularly. I think outside of Sandine and Roygren, I should say Roygren has been better this year. Um, particularly offensively, part of that's driven by the fact that he was given power play time, especially early in the year before they got Sandine back. Um, so he's been good. Willigren has, has been solid. He's been the same sort of defensive presence that he was last year, and last year he became an excellent defensive defenseman in the AHL, which I think in his draft year nobody would have expected he would have been sort of better in his own zone than in the offensive zone, but I think his offensive game is coming along. He seems to be more confident, particularly with his shot. That's always kind of been a weakness of his. Uh, he hasn't been afraid to let it go, and he hasn't been as hesitant with it, so that's been a huge development, but uh, really honestly outside of those two guys there isn't a lot there I, I really liked Miko Kokonen last year uh, but Miko Kokonen has had kind of a disastrous season over in Finland he was injured uh, this summer and then missed the start of missed all of his training camp and the start of his season and then ever since he's got back he hasn't looked like this sort of confident bubbling uh, two-way defenseman that he was in Liga last year they sent him down to the junior A level in Finland and he didn't look like the dominant player he'd looked like in, in the previous three seasons before last year at the junior level either so uh, there's something that's up with Kokanen it will be interesting to see whether he makes Finland's world junior team because this summer they viewed him before he was injured at the world junior summer showcase as a lock on that team and I'm not sure that he should be a lock to make that Finnish team anymore so uh, he's had a weird season and, and I think he was uh, outside of Willigren and Sandy and really the the brightest light on defense in terms of prospects for the Leafs. 
I don't think uh, I was reading up. Are there any other prospects that are uh, for the Leafs that might be World Juniors eligible and and might make a roster? I don't think there is. And SDA was was one of them. I thought right. for once that Russia might give him a shot, but for one reason or another, Russia's very weird about these things. They've never liked SDA. I think part of it is has to do with the fact that he came over here when he was 14 uh, and he left uh, the, the Soviet Wings, the minor hockey program that he was developed in, uh, to go play prep school hockey in, in eastern Ontario before he was drafted into the OHL. and that uh, tends to leave a sour taste in the Russian Hockey Federation's mouth. So SDA is a player who I think should uh, have been on that Russian team, but absolutely won't be. And then outside of Kokinen, Robertson, and Sandine, who is still eligible and could still be loaned, I think Sweden is, is really banking on that because they've left a couple of these spots open, so they're probably hoping that they get both Adam Boquist and Rasmus Sandine back, which would really give them the best defense in the, in the tournament. Um Outside of those three guys, there is there isn't really anyone. Phil Calls now at a year too old, um, and, and none of their other prospects kind of rose to that kind of a level in terms of of their upside and their ability to to sort of crack that roster. You're not going to see uh, any of the Canadian kids certainly because none of them were invited to the camp. And then uh, SDA was really the only hope. All right, Scott, really appreciate uh, you coming on and chatting with us. Always a lot of fun, great insight uh, from a great hockey mind such as yourselves. Really appreciate your time. Anytime, thanks. All right, thanks a lot. That's uh, Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. All right, coming up next, Zooms will hop back in with me and help tee up the game tomorrow night against the St. Louis Blues, and that'll be coming up in just a moment. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Leafs podcast. Mike DiStefano, the Zoobs, coming back to join me uh, for the rest of the show as we sit here. And now we're going to recap tomorrow's game against the St. Louis Blues. Buddy, last time the Blues were in town, the Leafs, I thought, actually, it may have been their best game under Mike Babcock. Uh, Are you expecting a pretty good game again tomorrow night as well, now under Keefe? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that was the best game under Babcock, I think. Most of what we saw before that was disappointing results, but they really brought it in that game, and they really answered the bell, and I think, uh, yeah, I think this should be, I have high hopes for this, because it's been a pretty disappointing week or so, uh, and they've heard all the talk, and they've had time off to think about it and to regroup, so I expect a total team effort, and I think uh, it's not going to be easy, but this is this is definitely uh, a game of the week for me, Def- definitely a must-watch. Yeah, 100%, and, and always when it's a Saturday nighter. But, you know, the Leafs, uh, two-game losing streak now, uncharted territories under the Keefe regime. So this is going to be, you know, we're now starting to see how this team reacts when under some sort of adversity. I mean, it's only two games, not the end of the world. But uh, they're facing their first little bit of a test here after losing back-to-back games. Um, and this is the first game of a four-game Western swing. Then they got uh, the Western Canadian team starting off with Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. So how important do you think it is for them to set the tempo early in this game and kind of get off that losing streak and then go out and start the road trip on a bit of a high note? Yeah, absolutely. A great point. I think they have a chance here. If they can if they can put in a good effort and have something to really build on against the Blues, that carries them through uh, some winnable games. Tough teams, but winnable games. Uh, as we've mentioned many times, the margins are very thin in this league, and, and where better to test yourself than against the defending champs? One of the bigger threats that St. Louis is posing now uh, that 
you know, I don't think we expected to happen or, or that we expected to see uh, coming into the year. But, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko went down, and I thought maybe this team might end up going through a bit of a slide to start the season just because Tarasenko, you know, 40-goal scorer, he's an elite talent. And, uh, you know, he's just that good of a player where if you lose him, you're going to struggle. And St. Louis said, nope, we're just going to go ahead and keep 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 on rolling. And one player specifically has really picked up their game. Uh, David Perron, I didn't realize this until I just went to go and take a look, leading the team with 11 goals, 17 assists, 28 points. Like, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. They, they, they play a good system, and they have, as you said, they have a lot of they have a lot of talented guys. I mean, I mean, when you have when you can rely on Ryan O'Reilly and you, and you can rely on guys like that to cycle through, uh, it's it's a veteran team. It's a team that knows what it takes to win in this league. Uh, I have been a sort of a closet Perron fan, and he's been on a lot of good teams in his in his career. But yeah, not who I would thought would be leading the team in scoring at, at any juncture of the year, especially. 30-ish games into the season. Well, he's had an interesting career. Like, he's, he started out in St. Louis, and then he ended up, well, I think, Edmonton. And then from Edmonton, he got shipped to Pittsburgh, and then back to St. Louis, and then went somewhere. Like, I think this is his third time being a St. Louis Blue. I think maybe he got swapped at the deadline or something and then signed back a couple of years ago. So he's had an interesting career. Uh, was was a big part of their Stanley Cup win last year and is a big part of the reason why they're up at the top of the standings in the Western Conference once again. Uh, and for that, you know, I think that the Leafs are going to have a, they're going to have some troubles in this one tomorrow night. I think that you look at the the depth that this team has, like it's incredible. You just look up and down the lineup, and they're pretty solid everywhere, and they play a really good game. they got a lot, of, a lot of good speed. they got some good skill, and they got a lot of grit too, which is something that uh, I know a lot of Leaf fans wish that Toronto had right now, uh, the, the way that they kind of have been getting outworked recently. Uh, but what are some of the keys that you think the Leafs are going to have to to play well tomorrow in order to get the win against San Jose? Uh, uh, St. Louis, not San Jose. Gonna have to, yeah, yeah. Gonna have to fight a little fire with fire here. I think it's gonna come down to the top lines. It's gonna come down to if they're willing to match that intensity that St. Louis plays with at all times. I'm looking, you know, this is, I'm sure he's tired of hearing it, but we're looking to Matthews to sort of raise his game here after a quiet spell. Uh, I don't see him as the kind of guy that that is quiet for too long. I think eventually. He's a breakout candidate, and, and this is a spotlight game against a big team. So, you know, I think relying on that top-end talent and, and really matching them uh, strength for strength is going to be a key in this game going forward. Yeah, you enter, you, you talked about Austin Matthews and how he's been in a little bit of a slide, just uh, one assist in his last five games. So he's got to start finding the score sheet because if Matthews isn't finding the scoreboard, not a lot of players on this team are. So definitely getting him going uh, is certainly going to be something uh, that the Leafs are going to have to do. For me, I want to see them have a good start because the Blues are a really tough team. They'll wear you down, and if you're down in the third period, it's going to be really tough to try and come back and beat them. So I think you get off to a good start, and you maybe even take take a nice little lead into the first intermission. You know, So I think that's going to be imperative for them to, to try and get the W tomorrow night. It's going to be tough going up against Jordan Bennington, who's kind of solidifies himself as as uh, one of the more elite goalies in this league, which is insane when you think li- literally a calendar year ago, he was the fourth-string goalie backup in the American League, and now he's a Vesna candidate, which it's just mind-boggling <laughs> uh, what, what can happen in, in just one year. But I think a, a good start is going to be imperative for the Leafs tomorrow. What's another one for you? 
I think this is a good test for the defense. As you mentioned, this is a, a physical team, a team that's not afraid to, to chip it in and then make you pay. Um, you know, that's going to be a test for the Cody Ceci. It's going to be a test for Justin Hall. It's going to be a test for Travis Dermott. And for Tyson Berry, I, I think the back end uh, has their work cut out for them in this game. They're going to have to be strong on the puck, and they're going to have to be decisive because, you know, how many times of this year have we seen them play mostly a good game, but then a costly mistake here or there uh, really does them in. And you can't afford to do that against a championship-level team like the St. Louis Blues. Definitely, definitely. And I think for me, one of the other things I want to see is because this team is, you know, they're so technically sound, if you can kind of utilize your skill that you have as, you know, that the Leafs have and utilize their creativity and maybe try and break down some of the some of their, you know, defensive tactics that they have, I think that would bode well for the Leafs. Get a little creative tomorrow, uh, you know, kind of keep moving so that they can't hit you and get the puck moving on all around the ice and try and maybe tire them out that way. Uh, I think that would also go a long way for them. Uh, what are you predicting tomorrow? You think the Leafs get the win? You think that they break the losing streak? Or you think that this one rolls on to three in a row? I'm going to have to go optimistic here because I don't want to see what happens Ooh. three and three, an 3 I know it's going to be very tough. I, I think a, I think a 3-2 a, a game probably sounds about right to me. Uh, maybe one pretty bad mistake. But, uh, you know, I like Matthews to get on the scoreboard. And I like uh, Anderson to continue playing strong. So uh, give me a three-two Maple Leafs. Maybe in overtime. They they just need to have a good game. I think they've yet mm-hmm. to have that where they put forth a sixty-minute effort. And if they can do that, I truly believe that they, on a nightly basis, they can go and they can beat anybody. I think they have the skill to do it. Problem is, we haven't seen it. And you know, it's it's those minutes that they take off that really seem to screw them. And until I see it, I'm not buying it. I don't think it's going to happen <laughs> tomorrow. And for that reason, I think uh, I'm going to go a little more pessimistic uh, on my end. I think that it'll be a, a 4-2 loss, and the Leafs are going to start the road trip uh, 0-for-1, and it's going to be a three-game losing streak I just don't see it happening, man. They're a really good team. St. Louis, one of the best in the league, and uh, Toronto—they're not playing that way right now. Man, the roller coaster that has been this season already. Right. From week to week, we we are down in the dumps, we are up in the clouds, and now we are back to a three-game losing streak. It's been—it's been an incredible, and it's only December. What's funny is it's not only Toronto that that that's happening. I think uh, Bob McKenzie was talking about this earlier on the radio. He was saying, "I've done—I do radio every every week, every Monday morning. I do it in Edmonton, I do it in Vancouver, I do it in Toronto, I do it in Montreal, all around the country." And he says, "One week, everybody's blowing their brains out, thinking that they got to start a rebuild and retool everything. Then the next week, you know, they've won a couple of games in a row, and everyone's feeling good about themselves. And they're like, well, good thing we didn't uh, we didn't really hit the red button last week when we were panicking a little.'" And then the following week, they're back to, man, maybe we should press the red button and reset. But it seems like that's not just Toronto. That's happening all around the NHL these days. And I think a big reason for that is parity. Uh, there's just been so much parity in the league over the past couple of seasons. And I think this year especially, uh, I think that on any given night, any team can get the win. So although I'm predicting a 4-2 loss, you know, if if the Leafs buckle down and they play a quality game, they can easily go out and get the win. I, I, I totally believe it. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here today uh, on the podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You subscribe to the Lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcasting platforms and receive daily Leafs content. You can follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. And follow Zoobs at the underscore Zoobs. Also want to send out a special shout out to uh, Scott Wheeler for coming on with the show earlier today. We'll have to have him on again down the road. But uh, be sure to check back in Monday morning where we'll be chatting all about the game tomorrow night against the St. Louis Blues. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.